For far too long, many Christians and churches have been primarily known by what they are against. Most people in our communities could rattle off a list of things that they think we stand in opposition to, all the while never really experiencing the love Jesus has for them. It's time for things to change. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of those that Jesus gave his life for, it's time that we become known by what we are for. It's time that we begin really loving our neighbors. It's time that we begin living and loving for the sake of those around us who are desperately in need of the life-giving power of the gospel. If we are going to help people move closer to where God wants them to be, it's time that we are no longer known primarily by what we are against. It's time that we become known by what we are for. Well, good morning and welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us. I am excited about this morning. One of the reasons I am excited the most is that I get the privilege to introduce a guest speaker for us this morning. Mike Mann uh, has uh, long-term deep ties to the Verde Valley. He grew up here and spent a lot of years here. Uh, left for a little while, worked as a pastor uh, in Texas for a number of years, um, made his way back this direction and worked as a pastor in Flagstaff for a number of years. And, and the last couple years, uh, Mike and his family have been back here in the Verde Valley. They've been a part of our church. They're regularly here. We just really appreciate Mike, and I'm so excited for the things that he has to share with you this morning. I've already heard it two times, and it's great. It's challenging. I think you'll be encouraged, and I'm just so grateful for Mike Mann being here. Would you give him a warm welcome this morning? All right. Hey, thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. And uh, in case you guys weren't here with us last week, you, you, you would have missed uh, Matt teeing up this whole sermon series called Four, and he did an excellent job and, and just challenged us and, and got us rolling on this idea of, of being for our community, for people who are far from God. And so I'm just going to dive right in. About, about 10 years ago, as Matt said, I was in Dallas, Texas. I was going to seminary there, and I was working at a church. And uh, at this time, I was working in children's ministry. And so a morning for me would look like getting up at about 5.30, going and setting things up, working with children all morning, and then going home, and then going inside, and uh, getting into shorts and a t-shirt and socks and then just crashing for the afternoon after a long, hard day of work. And, and so this particular Sunday afternoon, I was laying probably in my chair or on the couch, either watching TV or pretending to watch TV with my eyes closed. And, um, and my wife and kids happened to be out in front playing in the front yard this, this one day. And my wife comes running inside and says, Mike, Mike, you got to come outside. Something's going on down the street. And we, I think that we need some help or, or we need to do something. And so I run outside to the front in my socks and my shorts and t-shirt. And, and I look down the road and I see uh, at a distance on the opposite side of the road, this truck parked in front of a house with a person standing in the back, screaming and yelling and throwing something. I mean, you know, the, I see this motion. And, and, and so I'm like, okay, this looks like a bad situation. So I, I need to go see if there's anything I can do to help. And so I, I, I remember this, why I remember having socks on is because I ripped my socks off. I think I handed, to my, handed them to my wife. She's like, thanks, dude. You know, and so, and I go down there barefoot and I'm running down the sidewalk and I get down and I'm across the street from where this is all taking place. And, and what's happening is there's this woman, she's pulling tools out of a tool, you know, those toolboxes in the bed of a truck and, and, and throwing them at this guy. 
who's hunkered down in the front yard, backed up against the house, you know, just, you know, screaming for his life, like, stop, 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 you know, and, and I'm going, okay, what do I do here? So I, I slowly approached from behind and, and across the street, and I said, man, man, hold on just a second, and she was not happy that I was there. She turned, and she went like this, you know, and I said, no, no, don't, don't throw it at me. Don't throw anything at me. I'm just here to help. I'm not here to hurt you. I want to help what's going on. And, and I, over the next few minutes, I was able to take her from, from like an 11 down to a 10, you know? <laughs> and um, I mean, she was, she was volatile and she was upset. And, and as I started to piece things together, I started realizing that it really was a very volatile situation. See, she was dropping off her boyfriend at her ex-boyfriend's house, or she, she wanted to be dropped off at her ex-boyfriend's house. She was with her boyfriend. She was mad at him because he'd been cheating on her. I mean, it was just a mess, okay? And so, so I, I began to help her get her stuff out of this truck and kind of get her collected and get her back around the back side of the house. Uh, in Dallas, they have alleyways that you come into your house from, and I figured that's where the, the, boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend would be coming from, so we got her back there. We, I went back around to the front, and I introduced myself to the man who's being pummeled by tools. His name was Tom. And, uh, and I started to talk with Tom, and I said, hey, hey, you know what, man, what if... He, he was just in such distress and, and really panicked. I said, hey, what if we just, uh, what if we get in your truck and we go to Starbucks somewhere, and, and there's one down around the corner, and uh, I buy you coffee or, or a drink or something. We just sit there, you know, and kind of talk. Let me get to know you and hear your story. And he's like, would you do that? I said, well, of course, let, let's go. So we get in his truck, and it wasn't very long, about two seconds before I realized, okay, I have no shoes on. <laughs> I'm in a truck with a man that I do not know, <laughs> heading away from my house. This can't end well, right? Um, but I said, hey, why don't we turn around and go back to my house? Let me get some shoes and socks. And, and so he did. He turned around. We pulled up to the front of my house. I jumped out of the truck. I went and talked to my wife. I told her that I was going to spend some time with Tom. And uh, she said, that's great. And I said, hey, why don't you just get us some water bottles? And we'll just stay here, you know, kind of be a little safer. <laughs> And she, so she ran and grabbed some water bottles, handed them to me. I got in the truck, and I spent like the next, I don't know, it had to be an hour, hour and a half uh, with Tom in, in the truck. And I'll tell you the rest of the story later, okay? So <laughs> it's called the hook, okay? Um, all right. Today what we're talking about, you guys, we're talking about in this series of four is how we need to engage with people who are far from God. And I believe the way that we engage with people who are far from God is that we love kindness. That we would love kindness. A lot of what I'm going to say today and talk with you about and what I'm learning in my own life, um, I read by, in a book called Love Kindness by a guy named Barry Corey. He's the president of Biola University. Our son happens to be going there. We got introduced to him, not personally, but just through him being dropped off at school. And, and then I went and looked him up because he talked about this, and I saw this book, and I read it, and just devoured it. And it's been really helpful to my life. And so I highly encourage you to, to pick that up and, and read in more depth what I'm going to talk about today. Because here's the deal. In our current culture, the, the cultural climate that we find ourselves in today is volatile. We've got people hurling tools, words, at one another in really hurtful ways. And our, 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 our community, our neighbors, our friends, they need to know kindness. They need to know a Christ-centered, genuine, from-the-heart kindness from us that comes to us from God. 
See, we're, we're discussing a lot in this series the fact that as, as Christians, we're often known by what we're against and not what we're for. And so we come across as unkind, unapproachable, always full of truth, but lacking in grace. Micah 6, 8 kind of sets the stage for our, our time together. It says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That word kindness in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is the word chesed. You guys clear your throats with me? Chesed, all right? That's the word. This is what that word means. The definition of it is it's an active kindness. It's a definition of part of God's character. It's his loving kindness. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's consistent. It's patient. There's some things that kindness is not, and I'm just going to get those out of the way right now so we're clear what we're talking about. We're talking about a a much higher thing than the thing we might think kindness is. Uh, Kindness is not being nice. Think about it. What do we do when we're raising kids? I've raised three kids, and when they were little, and they were like two years old, and one of them was hitting the other one, I'd be like, hey, stop it. Be nice. So essentially what I was telling them is that being nice is not hitting people, right? We want to go way above that, don't we? We want to go beyond just not hitting people. Um, Kindness is not random. Not this kind of kindness. We like random acts of kindness because they make us feel good about ourselves, but this is not this way of kindness, See, a random random act of kindness doesn't involve me to to kind of dive into somebody's mess and into their world. I can just buy them a Starbucks as I go through the line and say, hey, pay it forward. In the end, it just is really, I think, more about making me feel good about myself rather than actually seeking out somebody else. Kindness is not self-seeking. It's not about making people like me or making me feel good about myself. It's about, it's it's other-centered. And finally, kindness is not celebrating sin. And I want to be clear about that because we're going to talk about some things that in our culture today really rub up against us as Christians. And so we've got to be careful how we talk about those things and how we present ourselves in a way that we, that we challenge people, that we love them, that we shepherd them, that we guide them and walk through life with them, but we don't celebrate things that are actually sinful. And there's a way to do that. Jesus, Jesus shows us that. He shows us it in an awesome story in John chapter 4. You, you may have heard it. I don't know. It's a story about what we call the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. Where Jesus goes and enters into this woman's world and shows her kindness. The kind of kindness that he wants us to show the world that we are a part of. So I'm just going to read this story. I've kind of pared it down a little bit for us, um, j- just so that, just for time's sake, but it's, it's almost the whole chapter of John 4, like, t- like two-thirds of it. So I kind of par- pared it down a little bit to get the high points, um, but I encourage you to read that in your time in the Word this week, okay? John 4, starting in verse 3, he left, Jesus left Judea and parted again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The message Bible puts it this way, for Jews wouldn't be caught dead with Samaritans. Okay? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, sorry, am he. So what is, what is kindness? Kindness is having a firm center and soft edges. Point number one. It's in your bulletin there if you follow, if you, if you like to write stuff out. Kindness is having a firm center and soft edges. And this sounds really great, but here's the deal. We're sinners. We're broken, hurting, messy people a lot of the time. And so oftentimes, we mess this up. We get this wrong. Here's some ways that having a firm center and soft edges kind of goes wrong for us as Christians and why people maybe think we're against them. Um, And the first way is is that sometimes we end up having a firm center and rough edges, Kind of like this guy. All right? That is not a guy that I want to meet when I need, maybe if I need like my car lifted off of me because I'm in a ditch, I don't know, you know, but otherwise I'm not sure he's the guy that I want for gentleness and kindness, right? It might be kind of scary. But, but this is what we do. When we have a firm center and rough edges, we train and we train and we train. We show up here, we go to Bible study, we go to a small group, we go to church on Sunday, we pray, we read our Bibles. And it's just so that we can flex our spiritual muscles and show people all that we know. And that, that comes across as really arrogant and prideful. Um, another way that, that we tend to um, miss this whole firm center and soft edges thing is that we have a firm center and what I call sharp edges. Sharp edges, like cutting edges. Um, and Matt, last week, Matt talked about how we're to shine our light in such a way that people would see that light and be drawn to us. And, be, and ultimately be drawn to Jesus. But, but what we do is we, we kind of do like, like, like this light shows here, is that we stand way back off in the distance, and we have a firm center, but we also have sharp edges. And, and we stand way back. And rather than light our light shine in such a way that they would receive it, we shine our light and point out the sin in other people's lives. It's like, oh, there's that sin. There's that sin. I see that sin. We, but we don't get messy with it. We stay way back here, right? Oh, you're a sinner. Oh, look at that sinner over there. But what Jesus wants us to do, I believe, is to kind of dial that back and kind of make that light not quite so, quite so harsh and judgmental and truthful. It doesn't mean we give up the truth. Look, look at, notice the light didn't change. The light of truth in that situation did not change. But how it was presented was a little softer. Another way that we kind of mess this thing up is that we have, a, we have a soft center. We have no moral compass. We have nothing to offer people to help them with the, the worries and the cares of life. 
and we have soft edges, and we look like this. Aww, <laughs> so cute and cuddly, huh? Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Yeah, we love babies, and, ba- and everybody likes a baby, okay? Um, but when you're hurting and life is broken, babies aren't what the world needs, okay? Not from us as Christians. So the Bible kind of says it like this. We're, we're called in Scripture to love God, that's our firm center, and to love others, soft edges. We're to do justice, firm center, and love kindness, soft edges. Jesus came in truth, firm center, and grace, soft edges. See, firm centers are what we believe to be true regarding life and godliness. A firm center is what keeps us connected to God. A firm center is what reminds us of what's true and good and right and beautiful and lovely and just in the world. Soft edges are how we relate to people with a different center than our own. Soft edges look like compassion, forgiveness, graciousness, tenderheartedness, loving kindness, sympathy, humility, patience, and even, I'm going to say this word, and you're not going to like it, but tolerance. Not tolerance of the world that says, hey, we're going to applaud your sin, but a tolerance that says, hey, I'm going to go roll my sleeves up, and I'm going to get involved in people's lives who are sinful. I'm going to walk through them. I'm going to show them love and gentleness and graciousness and long-suffering. Here at Verde Valley Christian Church, we, we hear it said all the time, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Soft edges. See, before Jesus revealed to the woman that he knew the truth about her life, he was kind to her. John 4.10, we see Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, that's the firm center, right? You would have asked him and he would have given it to you. Soft edges. I'm here to give you life. I want you to know me. I care about your well-being. I care about your world. I care about your hurts and your pain and, and these things that are going on in your life. And guys, the way that we show kindness, I believe this with all my heart because of what the scripture tells us over and over and over again is how we speak, how we talk, how we communicate with people. It also has to do with what we do, but, but primarily it's in the things that we say and when we say them. It's how much we speak. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You ever notice that we have one mouth and two ears? We probably should be listening twice as much as we talk. So how much we speak? When we speak. When we actually say something. Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt or good or well thought through answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Ladies who are married to men, I know this is your dream that when you are just having a bad day and things just aren't lining up the way you wanted them to and and maybe somebody was hurtful or mean to you or you just felt bad or your kids were just misbehaving and your husband comes in, all you want for him is to sit and listen and just tell you everything's going to be okay and pat you on the back and, and maybe hold you. And what does he do? He pulls out his truth and his counsel, <laughs> and, he fix, and he gets his tools out, and he's, he's going to fix it, right? He's like, I don't need you to fix it. And he might have a really good answer. It's just out of season, right? It's a, not what you need. <laughs> the final way that we, that we want to 
Consider how we speak and is, is our tone, the way in which we speak. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Colossians 4.6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So kindness is having a firm center and soft edges. Number two, kindness is being receivable. Being receivable. This is an interesting concept that, that I've just recently learned, and it's really challenged my heart and my life and my thinking. But in Matthew 10, 40, we, we see Jesus talking to the disciples, and he's, he's training them up on how to, how to go out and minister to the world. And he says this. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So he's saying, hey, if you go out and you're receivable, you humble yourself before me and others, and they receive you, there's a good chance that they're going to receive me and receive my Father and receive eternal life. They're going to get living, living water. Being receivable means that when we walk into a room, we're, we're thinking this thought. We're thinking, there you are, not here I am. <laughs> I, am I am so guilty of that. <laughs> I like, like Norman. No, I want to walk in the room and everybody goes, Mike, hey, you know. Um, God, that has made me think. Being receivable is being more concerned with what we're for than rather, rather than what we're against. Barry Corey in this book, he says this about being receivable. He said, it is taking off the steel-toed boots and walking barefoot like Jesus' disciples did when he washed their feet. It's taking a posture of humility and honoring all, cap, all caps, all people, as deserving of kindness, value, dignity, worth, and even honor due to the fact that they are created in the image of God. Amen. So no matter what our differences, no matter what our disagreements we might have with people, disagreements on politics or theology or marriage or family or business or parenting or sexuality or even things like abortion that are really messy, hard topics, you and I were called first to a life of kindness. Here's where we can get this wrong. Sometimes we might see this and you go, okay, well, so then the goal is to be received. That's not the goal. The goal is to be receivable. If we get this wrong, we're going to mess this thing up. Because if, if my goal is to be received, then what am I, I going to do? I'm going to people please you. I'm going to try to get you to like me. You know, if they just like me. It's, no, it's about being receivable. The awesome, amazing thing about being receivable is that we don't have to waver on our deeply held biblical values and beliefs to be receivable. But what it does mean is that being receivable means that we value relationship over being right. That we value people over a posture. Because here's the deal. This is, what, this is what Jesus says. Once people receive you, they, well, they'll trust you. And they'll listen to you about the deeper things of God. Jim said this on Wednesday. We were talking about this a little bit on Wednesday morning at Bible study. Um, and I just, I just had to write it down, and I totally am stealing it, okay? So um, he said this. He said, kindness, being receivable, builds a bridge strong enough to handle the weight of truth. 
that's good stuff right there. And I was like, that'll preach. <laughs> John 4.19 is the moment when this woman in the story, the Samaritan woman who's really hurting, when she received Jesus. She says this, the woman said to him, John 4.19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know, that's interesting. What she's saying there, you know, a prophet in that day had to be a truth teller. That was a truth teller, somebody who was honest and, and open. And, um, and, and so what she's saying to him is, you're trustworthy. You're trustworthy. I'm going to open up my, my heart and my life to you a little more. Third, kindness is loving people who are far from God. Loving people who are far from God. So here's the deal with Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way for lost, broken, messy, confused, addicted, selfish, hurtful, hurting people who are far from him. <laughs> I'm gonna, I have to say that again. Jesus goes out of his way for lost, broken, messy, confused, addicted, selfish, hurting, hurtful people who are far from him. The proof of it is that he went through Samaria. Look, this is my favorite verse. It's really little in this whole entire passage is John 4, 4. I love this verse. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. This is profound because what you need to understand about Jews and Samaritans, as, as we learned a little bit earlier, they did not have any kind of connection to one another at all. In fact, Jews wouldn't even step a toe over the line into their country. They were as far apart as you can possibly be, spiritually, politically, ideology, ideologically. I mean, in every way, shape, or form, they were completely different. They weren't even part of the same country. They were in separate countries. And so the Jews, when they would have to go up to Galilee, to the northern part of Israel, what they would do is they would leave, the, they would leave Jerusalem and they would go down to the river and go around Samaria, up along, the, up along the King's Highway, along the river there, to Galilee. Jesus went on the rough, rocky foothills in Samaria because he knew there was a woman there who needed rescue. He had to pass through Samaria. And the woman, she picks up on this. She, she knows this. She understands the, 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 the differences there. In John 4, 9, she says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Answer, Kindness. It was Jesus' kindness that drove him to Samaria. And it begs the question of us. Who's asking the question, how is it you, a Christian, would be talking to a person like me? And here's where the rub's gonna come. You, you may not like this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Here we go. Who's asking the question of you, how is it you, a Democrat, are talking to a Republican like me? How is it you, that a CEO, are talking to a, a day worker like me? How is it you, a white collar, or I'm sorry, a straight white guy, are talking to a gay rights activist like me? How is it that you, that a Christian, are talking to a Muslim like me? How is it that you, a pro-lifer, are talking to a pro-choicer like me? Those are hard questions, aren't they? So I dare to say that some of those, we think, oh man, I, I'm gonna shine that light, but I have to stay away. And Jesus says, no, enter in. Pass through Samaria. 
And I'm going to warn you guys, this kind of a, this way of life, this life of kindness is messy. And it is full of a lot of hurt and sorrow and pain. God calls us into it. And here's the other thing. You, you might get judged for it by other Christians. Why are you talking to that Samaritan woman, Mike? Don't you know about her five husbands? And that's what we're trying to get away from in this message series called Four. Here's the deal. If you get ridiculed for those types of things, you're in good company. The Bible teaches that Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. Thank God. How do we grow to love kindness and live a life of kindness? That's the big question, right? How do we grow to love kindness and live a life of kindness? We must go outside the gates and walk humbly with our God. To get outside these four walls where it's safe and get out there amongst the people and walk humbly before them and our God. Micah 5, 6 gives us this. How do you do justice and love kindness? Walk humbly with your God. So where did our God walk? Where did Jesus go? He went outside the gates. Listen to this in Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also went outside the camp, suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. See, outside the camp in the, in the Old Testament sacrificial system is where they would take the broken, messy, gory bodies of those sin-cursed animals and take them outside the camp and burn them. It's where they took the murderers and the thieves and the liars and the prostitutes and the addicted and the lepers and they burned them or stoned them And what does Jesus do? He goes outside there to nonetheless to a hill called the skull, representing that sin-cursed ugliness. And he climbs up on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He took the sinner's place. He took your place and my place. And he went outside those gates and became that which we are, that we might have life in him. It was Jesus' loving kindness that caused him to have to go outside the camp. It's Jesus' kindness that caused him to have to pass through Samaria. And this is where it really hits home. It's Jesus' kindness that caused him to pass through the Samaria of my heart. I'm the Samaritan woman in this story. Certainly not Jesus. And if we're humble, we'll recognize that we're all that. You want soft edges? You want to become receivable? You want to love people far from God? You have to take the sinner's place. You got to go to Jesus 
outside the camp, be reminded of the reproach he endured in your place, and then walk humbly before him and others. When we do this, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the rest of the story, what happened to the woman at the well? She's the first Gentile convert. She's the first Christian. She heads and is the first missionary to her village. And then she tells the people about Jesus and they receive her message and they come back to Jesus and they accept him and they worship him. And what happened to Tom? (laughs) You're like, come on, tell us. Tom and I spent an hour and a half in his car, and I just listened for a really, really long time and heard about brokenness, abuse, his own fatherless home growing up, and multiple men coming in and out of his his wife's life, and and then a five-year-old boy that was Tom's, living in Florida, who'd had no dad, kind of living the same life that Tom lived as a kid, and, and I just, after listening for a long time, I said, Tom, I said, do you know Jesus? He said, no. He said, man, you need Jesus. You don't need a, you don't need a guy in bare feet. You need Jesus. And Tom received Jesus that day. And Tom went to church. And Tom got plugged into a small group of other young adult men who got around him and started shepherding him and sharpening him and showing him the way of kindness, the way that Jesus is. And Tom decided to move to Florida to be his dad to his little kid who desperately needed a dad. And it had nothing to do with what I did. I want you guys to be clear. I'm not tooting my horn. It had everything to do with Jesus and what he does and what he calls us to. When we humble ourselves before the almighty hand of God, he does amazing things. Father, we come before you today just humble by the fact that you left glory to come to be a man, to humble yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that you pass through the Samaria of my heart, that you call me to then enter into this attitude and this, this posture of loving kindness. God, help us as a church to be a church that's known for our kindness Your word says that it's your kindness and tolerance and patience towards us that leads us to repentance. God, help us to be those kind of people. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, I I hope that you were encouraged by that and challenged by that. Would you just uh, thank Mike along with me this morning? I am... I'm grateful for his generosity in sharing with us today and and challenging us to some of those things. I want to tell you a couple things. Uh, At the end of every service, we always have a prayer team over here to the right of the stage that would be 
more than happy to pray with you, to pray for you, to spend a couple minutes with you. If, that's, if that would be uh, something helpful for you this morning, please stop by and spend some time with them over there today. The last thing that I want to tell you about and then uh, we'll dismiss is that uh, all of these messages through this series, I told you last week that we're going to try to put something practical in front of you. And so last week we asked you to consider being a part of the food drive. Thank you for bringing uh, some food this morning if you did that. Uh, we collected a ton of food this morning that's going to go a long way for the Old Town Mission. This week, the thing that we're wanting to put in front of you, the practical thing we'd like you to uh, consider is uh, on this orange insert inside your bulletin. And it just basically says the four that I'm for. And so a couple of these things, we're, we're going to ask you to participate in something we're organizing. A couple of things, we're trying to put something your direction and say, hey, we'd like this to be a tool for you and something that might be helpful for you. And so what this is, is basically we want you to spend some time talking to God, prayerfully considering it. Are there people in my circle? Are there people in my spheres of influence that are still living in a place where they may not know that God is for them? We want you to ask God about that, and we want you to see if you can come up with four individuals or four families that you can write down and say, like, I am going to commit to being for those people. I'm going to commit to figuring out how I can be for them so that they can experience how God is for them. And so what we want to do is partner with you. We want to uh, first just commit to praying for those people with you. Um, and then we also want to see if you would sign up to just be um, receiving some emails over the next couple months where we're hoping to just encourage you, to challenge you, to remind you, to give you some ideas of some practical ways that you could in your uh, daily life and daily routine be helping those specific people um, to be reminded that you're for them and to be reminded that God is for them. That's all I've got for you today. If you are interested in being a part of that, fill, fill this out, drop it in a giving box, or there's also a web address on here and you can fill this out online and uh, sign up for that later this week. We appreciate you. I'm looking forward to next week together. We will see you then.